0: Well, thank you, Matt. And men, it's good to be with you. Thank you for the invitation to be here, Matt, and to trust me to speak to the men here. If you have a Bible with you or some kind of device, open with me to the New Testament book of Second Timothy chapter two. I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one. Put a placeholder somewhere near verse 13. Or a good Navy term, drop an anchor right there at uh, verse 13. We know that this book of 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul's last written work, that he died in prison after having written this. In fact, he was beheaded by Emperor Nero. Uh, You can sense in his writing here in 2 Timothy that there's a sense of urgency, and he's much more directive with his spiritual understudy of Timothy as he writes this. He knows he's going to be executed but the gospel must continue the gospel must continue and so here in these two verses in second timothy chapter 1 we'll only cover two verses this morning he has two three word imperatives that he gives the his spiritual understudy timothy and the words are simple he says timothy retain the standard and he says guard the treasure Retain the standard and guard the treasure. We'll unpack that and make application for these two verses here in just a second. I would say my guesstimation is accurate if I said that almost every man here in the room carries some form of a wallet with them. And inside that wallet, there may be some form of denomination of American currency. Maybe you have a dollar or a five or a 10, or maybe even have a hundred dollar bill. But here's the thing. Do you know that the United States Bureau of Printing has the responsibility of the accuracy of every bill that's in our wallet, but also the 8 billion that they print every single year. And this United States Bureau of Printing engraving police also have the responsibility of watching over all of that money that's printed, the treasure of the United States, but also the actual printing plates that are used to make that money. What an awesome responsibility. What what great lengths our nation goes to to protect our currency. I'm thankful for that. I'm sure you are as well. But here's the point. What we value in life, we often will go to, Great lengths to protect. What you and I value in life, we will go to great lengths to protect. That's precisely the Apostle Paul's point here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 in these two verses we're looking at. Paul says we need to go to great lengths to protect the integrity of the Word of God, retain the standard, and guard the treasure. And Paul's not the only one that puts a high value on the word of God. In fact, God does himself. You think of how many times in Scripture that God himself speaks through the writers about his word as well. Let me give you a few examples. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Second 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is theopneustos. God breathe and it's profitable. The very next verse, verse 17 in 2 Timothy 3. He says it equips the word of God equips man for every good work. Paul said in Romans 1:16, the word of God is the power of God for salvation. In Psalm 19, King David writes the word of God is perfect. It revives the soul, it makes wise the simple. It causes the heart joy and enlightens the eyes. It's more desirable than gold. Psalm 119 says the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And then think about what is written in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God, it will last forever. The Word of God will last for absolutely forever. And so why is this so important to the Apostle Paul that he's writing this as he's about to be executed. One of the last things he says to Timothy, retain the standard, guard the treasure, because Satan has an all-out attack on the Word of God, does he not? And he's trying to twist the Word of God through our culture and through our world to, to redefine what marriage looks like, to confuse the world population on human sexuality, to confuse the world's population on the value of human life. Satan has an all-out attack on the Word of God because he knows that the gospel, the Word of God, is the power of God for salvation, as Paul says in Romans 1. He knows, Satan knows, that the Word of God is able to equip man for every good work. Satan knows that, as Paul wrote to Timothy... The Word of God, the Old Testament, gave Timothy the knowledge that led to his change by way of salvation. And Satan knows that. He's trying to tell the world and teach the world that the Word of God is confusing or inconsistent. It is neither. And Paul says we need to retain the standard. Let's break that down just for a second here, this retain the standard, what does that really mean? Well, you look at the word retain, what Paul wrote, and in the Greek what we get the impression this word retain means to dig in, to hold fast. As if somebody's trying to take something away from you, you're called to dig in. Think of a ship, the aircraft carrier I used to fly on. The size of that anchor that goes over the side and it digs into that earth flo- the the sea floor to be able to keep that ship from moving. Or maybe a little bit easier to understand the the baseball player that gets up to the plate. He spends a few moments up there digging in, getting himself ready, putting his spikes in the right place so he can address each pitch that's coming from that pitcher's mound. And he's digging in. He's not going to back away. And that's so that Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, so that we're not pushed around by every different form of doctrine that is preached across different pulpits across the country, across the world. We're retaining the standard that God intended for His Word regarding the treasure that has been entrusted for each one of us. So the word retain, retain really means to dig in, to hold fast. Retain the standard. The standard is kind of the the printing plates that our money is printed on. It would be an architect's blueprint that he would make for a structure that he's about to build. It's that standard by which everything else falls into place. The standard of the Word of God. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, he said, The things that you've heard from me the standard by which I preach and teach. Paul says, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these things, the standard of what I have been teaching you, to faithful men. Entrust these things to faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. I'm sure when your pastor gets up here and preaches on a Sunday, that he has gone through great study of the Word of God. The Old Testament, I'm sure he's looked at the Hebrew or the Aramaic, In the New Testament, I'm sure he's completely dove into the Koine Greek to make sure that the words that come out of his mouth from this pulpit are retaining the standard by which it was intended. I, I don't know about your bylaws or your constitution or what your statement of faith says, but at the church where I pastor, In our Constitution, we have our entire statement of faith. It's very lengthy with scriptural references for everything we say that we teach. But there's a preamble before that where we actually speak how we view Scripture. What is the standard by which we view Scripture so that this is the way we preach and teach and therefore make application? Let me quickly give you an example. We say that we look at the Word of God normally— By that I mean, we look at the Word of God, the words that are written in the Word of God, in the Scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We look at them as being in normal understanding, normal meaning, the way the writer had written them. For instance, let's use the word day, because there's often an argument about, was was the world really created in six literal 24-hour days? Well, about 2,500 times in the Scripture— is this Hebrew word yom, which is the word for day. And about 98% of the time when that word yom is used, in the Old Testament it means a literal 24 hour day. So we say that we take the scriptures in their normal context. Literal, we also take the scriptures literally, which means when the word of God says something off the page to us, we believe that it is literal. That that's exactly what the writer intended for us to understand. And thus, therefore, we do believe that the world was created in six literal 24-hour days. We, believed, we do believe that there was an ark that actually a man by the name of Noah created, big enough to handle all of, the, uh, all of the animals that God brought to the ark to have him load upon. We believe there was a fish big enough to swallow a man by the name of Jonah. Call us fools, but we actually believe there was a virgin who gave birth to a son in a place called Bethlehem. And we believe literally that the scripture speaks about the birth, the life, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and second coming of a person called Jesus Christ. We actually believe that literally. Now, there are some times in the Scripture when you look at the Scripture and you say the standard here doesn't appear to be literal. For instance, let me give you an example. In Isaiah chapter 55, speaking about the the coming millennial kingdom, when Jesus will reign on the throne for a thousand years in Jerusalem. Here's what the Scripture says from Isaiah. It says, as a result of the joy of the millennial kingdom, the trees of the field will clap their hands. We don't have any kind of trees that have hands that I know of. But what the writer is saying, that the joy will be so great as if the trees were able to clap their hands. Or sometime in the book of Revelation, you'll see John writing from the island of Patmos, and he'll say, I saw this, it looked like. Well, it's something way in the future, maybe electronic, or, or maybe it's an airplane, or a missile, or a bomb. And John has no idea what it is, but he says, it looks like. So when you see like or as, then you say, well, that's not literal. Other than that, we take things to be normal, and we take things to be literal. And then we take things to be grammatical. We actually look at the scriptures in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and we use those rules of grammar. And we look at the New Testament in Koine Greek, and we use those rules of grammar. Now, for instance, when we write and read as Americans, we write from left to right, we usually start with a subject, and then a verb, and an object. Those are English rules of grammar. But when you go to Hebrew, it always starts with a verb, and then the subject, and then the object. And when you get to Greek, all the rules go out the window. And they can start with anything. But those are the rules. And we interpret and we translate Scripture by those rules. Normal, literal, grammatical. And then we go to historical. That we look at the Scripture in a historical context. We understand the words of Scripture and the times in which they were written. Not everything applies to us today. Yes, there are some things that, that transcend any time at all. God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, still apply today. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 still applies today. But you and I are not doing animal sacrifice. At least, I don't see an altar here for Sunday morning. To be doing animal sacrifice. And so we don't do all of those cultural things that the writers intended and God intended just for those period of time. And lastly, normal, literal, historical, grammatical, and also we look at the Scriptures systematically. By that means we never cherry-pick a Scripture to somehow undergird a point we're trying to make we look at the content of scripture as if it was written for those period of time that has maybe universal application but we look for instance in second timothy we see what paul is saying and we say is this consistent with what paul said throughout second timothy how about consistent with what paul said throughout his letters how about consistent with what paul said throughout all the other writers of the new testament how about consistent with what the new testament looks like in light of the old testament And we look at the Scripture from Genesis through the last verse in Revelation as it was written with one stroke, continuous stroke of the pen. Yes, by a whole bunch of different men over 1,500 years. But we look at the Scripture as if it's systematic. God had one message of redemption, and we don't cherry-pick out of that. That's the standard that the Scripture is given us. Paul says, retain that standard. The way you were taught the scripture, retain that standard. We need to know, men, what we believe. Paul says, retain that standard. Hold fast. Make sure you're going by the standard. We need to know what we believe. But secondly, he says in verse 14, and this is really where our work comes in. Paul says, guard the treasure. Guard the treasure. You and I know there's an all-out attack on the Word of God right now. Remember what Pilate said when Jesus stood before him? What is truth? His words still echo here, two millennia, away from when he said it. What is truth? And you and I are called to now defend Retain the standard and guard the treasure. You and I are called to take a stand in the culture when it's not popular to speak the truth. Thankfully, I know that happens in this pulpit, in this church. Hallelujah. You and I are called to not only know what we believe by retaining the standard, but also to Defend and guard what we believe by guarding that treasure. If I were to leave here this morning with just a dollar or fifty cents in my pocket, I wouldn't be all that concerned with where I went and how I walked. But give me ten thousand dollars and I walk a little differently. I'm careful about the way that I drive and where I go, what neighborhoods I visit, and the things that I do. Men, we have with us something much more valuable than $10,000. This is the Word of God. And you and I are called to retain the standard, but to guard the treasure, most importantly. The primary role of a church, this church, any church, is to build believers to the glory of God who understand the Word of God and are attempting to live by it. That's part of our job in the Great Commission. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, teach them to observe... In the Greek, it really means to obey. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. At one point, each one of us, if you claim to be a Christian, you entrusted your life to Jesus Christ for all of eternity. For me, it happened when I was a senior at the Naval Academy. A couple of classmates of mine my freshman year had shared the gospel with me. I'm pretty hard-headed it took me a couple of years to let it sink in, but eventually my senior year, October 18th, 1978, 10 o'clock at night, room 7233, I got down on my knees and gave my life to Christ. At that moment, at that moment, when my life was turned over to Him, in reciprocal, God turned the Word of God over to me and said, now that you know the truth— You're called to retain the standard, and you're called to guard the treasure. In other words, Joyce, you better know the Word of God enough that you can tell a phony, tell a counterfeit when you see it. You know bad preaching. You know when the Word of God is taken out of context. When we entrust our lives to Jesus Christ, He in turn entrusts us with the Word of God. It says that right in the Great Commission. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded, which means we better know what he's commanded. We better be prepared to teach others about that. But Paul says you can't do it alone. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Not a one of us is equipped by ourselves to be able to do that. I've got two degrees from seminary, and I trust completely not on those, but completely on the Holy Spirit to be able to guide me and direct me as to how I preach and teach and make application of the Word of God. I can't do it alone. I must have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, the Holy Spirit will will teach you and guide you into all truth and teach you all these things and bring back to remembrance all of these things. But you and I, men, are called to Guard that treasure. Every one of us called to guard the treasure. When you entrusted, when I entrusted my life to Christ, he in turn entrusted the gospel to us. We are his ambassadors in this world to bring the good news of the gospel to those that desperately need to hear it. Let me quickly, before we close this morning, make three applications by way of this passage here. First of all, I would say to those that are here this morning that maybe you came for the stake and necessarily, you were not necessarily prepared for the study, but you came. That's the point. And maybe there's never been a time that you've actually done what I just talked about entrusted your life to Christ. You're going through life and you say, hey, I kind of got it made. I got a good job. I'm in a, Involved with a a bunch of good men. I make a lot of money. I got a lot of toys. I got degrees. I got, you should see my wife. I mean, it's just all these things you say. But there's never been a time that you put your faith in Christ. You know, the scripture speaks to you. Romans chapter 1 says that you're aware of the truth, but you suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But here's the thing, you're still responsible for the truth. And if there's never been a time that you put your faith and trust in Christ, my question for you would be, what are you waiting for? Uh, Matt mentioned that uh, my office, yes, was one of the ones that was destroyed on 9-11. And as I was standing in front of the window and And that airplane crashed, and all of that debris and burning jet fuel, everything was coming at me, and I thought instantly, I'm about to die and meet Jesus. But I didn't. God spared my life. But you know, up in New York, and at the Pentagon as well, think of all those men and women that got up that morning getting ready to go to work in the World Trade Center. All those firemen that couldn't wait to get to work that morning. They loved the camaraderie of being in that unit at that fire station. All those police officers who saw their job as so important there serving in New York City. Not a single one of them, as they stood before that mirror that morning and men were fixing their ties and women were fixing their hair and finishing on their makeup. Not a single one of them looked in the mirror and said, today's my last day on earth. I hope I spend it well. But thousands perished. And I would submit that thousands perished separated from God for all of eternity. Because they never took time to consider, what does Jesus mean in my life? And friend, if you're here this morning and you were invited by others to, to come, let me encourage you. You have no idea how long you have. And Jesus has already done the work on the cross to pay for your sins, just waiting for you to yield your life to Him. Don't go another day without Him. I beg you. And so, your role, if you don't know Christ, is to surrender to Him. But then, what about those of us that do know Him? How do we make application of this word? I'd say our word is twofold. The first is that we engage. We engage. We know the truth. We have sat under the teaching of the truth. The truth has impacted our lives and transformed us completely. We have people all around us with spiritual cancer. How can we sit by idly, holding the truth behind our back? While well, we know that's the answer to their condition. Friends, we need to engage with the Word of God. Be familiar with it enough that we would be able to be comfortable enough to share it with those who desperately need to hear it. Paul says, retain the standard and guard the treasure. Not that we hide it, but that so we can engage with it. And lastly, lastly, we need to literally defend the Word of God. We need to be able to stand before the masses and be able to say, I I know what the culture is saying about marriage, about, about human sexuality, about the sanctity of life. I know what the culture is saying about that, but I know what the Word of God says. And this is what the Word of God says. And you can count yourself out, but I'm all in. I'm 100% all in. That you and I would defend the truth of the gospel. My dad was a career New York City cop. He served in the city of New York, NYPD, for nearly 40 years. He worked all over the city in all aspects of Police work and I remember one point asking him, hey Dad, I I just saw this special on counterfeiting dollar bills and, and and US currency and he said, How do you as police officers, how do you possibly study all the different counterfeits, what they all look like, so that you can you can spot it? He goes, We don't. We don't study the counterfeits. We study the real McCoy front and back. Up and down, we study uh, the American currency as it was created by those printing plates, and we come become so familiar with that. Then we see a counterfeit, we can recognize it just like this. Man, you and I are called to retain the standard and guard the treasure. A little bit later in the book of Second Timothy. Paul writes this to his understudy. He says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved of God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We're called to retain the standard and guard the treasure. We gave our lives to Christ, He entrusted to us the gospel you and I now bear a tremendous responsibility. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, for the men that you use to uh, write your scriptures, for the Holy Spirit inspiring them to bring to life and your words, your intention for us, who we are to be as men, Leaders, protectors, providers, who, who we are to be as a church, we thank you, Lord. Publicly, we thank you for your Word. I pray that there's any here this morning who, who don't know you, that the Word will have penetrated them, that they realize, as we all have at one time, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we're thankful that you provided that for us by going to the cross, paying for all of our sins for all of eternity. And so, Lord, would you, would you deal with those that don't know you and have them surrender to you? And Father, those of us that do know you, we pray that we will be students of the Word. The Holy Spirit will enable us and enlighten us so that we can best know what we believe, but also defend what we believe. And Lord, give us the, the endurance, the, the ability to, to withstand the pressure, maybe even to withstand prison, because we refuse to back down, back away from what your word says. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you called us to yourself. May we honor you by retaining the standard and guarding the treasure.